Welcome to the Political Review with Mr. French. So, we're taking a different spin this week. Um, this is a little delayed. I've been trying to edit this one and play around with it. Um, it is co-hosted with Mr. Yurinaga in the discussion with polling, and this is the first time we've dabbled in co-hosting for the Political Review. So, without further ado, here is your episode from Chapter 9 on polling. Hope you enjoy. This uh, podcast is all about polling and how we can try and predict the outcome of an election before it happens. And with me is Mr. French, the uh, author of the uh, uh, Political Review podcast. That's correct. And uh, So today we're doing a collaborative podcast with Mr. Yurinaga's class. So those of you in my honors, apps class, honors government, <coughs> excuse me, you are currently covering polling and that's what we're going to talk about today so everything we discussed today you should be currently be prepared for in class i think you may have a quiz next week oh so make sure you study this and listen to it rewind <coughs> it and uh, if you're especially if you're in mr uh, french's class smash that like button absolutely hey, hey hey mr french all right let's get started well did you know that uh people rely on some wacky predictions to try and uh, figure out who's going to win an election ahead of time. I have heard some interesting theories of, you know, how, you know, in history they've done that. Um, tell us a little bit about the squirrel in the pet store. Yeah, there's a pet store in Ohio that uh, has a squirrel in a cage, and uh, they set it up so that they put in acorns in uh, the cups of, uh, when they put in the cups, uh, the faces of uh, the two candidates. In this case, in 2012, was uh uh, President Obama and uh, the Republican challenger Mitt Romney, and uh, apparently the squirrel took out more uh, acorns from uh, Mitt Romney's cup than uh, President Obama's. So they they were going to predict that um, Mitt Romney was going to win the uh, 2012 election. That didn't work. Uh, the Spirit Halloween mask store usually tracks sales of uh, candidates' uh, masks in, uh, in in presidential elections. Uh, my favorite one to talk about is the uh, the Washington Redskins rule. Uh, it, the game, the home game before a presidential election, uh, there was going to be the, the will determine uh, who's going to win the the presidential election in 2016. I thought when the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, led by uh, Carson Wentz, uh, lost to the Washington Redskins. I'm a big Eagles fan. If you haven't, it's unfortunate. That. No, it's better that than a Cowboys fan. But uh, All right, the I'll let that slide. Let that slide. Okay. Uh, but the uh, Red, the Redskins beat the Eagles. However, their last home game before the the Redskins, they were the home team in the the uh, international game at Wembley Stadium in England, and they actually tied the Cincinnati Bengals at that game. So that's. Uh, so and these are all. I mean, how accurate has the Redskins one been? It's only it's been only wrong once apparently. That's a that's pretty good. That's, but the but the feature that is throwing a wrench in the whole thing is that we've had some uh, very close elections over the last uh, few years, and certainly uh, the 2016 election will count as one of those elections where. Uh, it, it could be uh, certainly the, the subject of another. Could we also argue podcast. the West York School High School? Mock election they ran in 2016 is kind of a, a wacky election. Yeah. Um, underage kids who are not 18, you know, voting 
on, you know, on something that a lot of times politically you vote based on what your parents and that's a whole different, you know, discussion we'll get into on how your parents vote or the people that you associate with vote. All of these predictions are definitely unscientific polls. The most accurate way to predict how an election will turn out is by doing polling. And that's the subject of our podcast. Um, and that so getting into polling, you know, the scientific ways that the polls conducted by the media are probably, would you say, the most reliable when it comes to scientific, they, depending on what type of polling they use. And abs- that's, absolutely. If it is done correctly and done in, with uh, following a, su- a certain set of parameters with this, for instance, uh, so. Go ahead. What what makes a good poll as we, you know, transition into polling, you know, you have selective sampling polling, margin of error, random sampling, but what makes a good poll? Well, the selective sampling or random sampling also, uh, you want to make sure that you are getting the uh, right uh, amount of people in your, in your poll. Uh, usually good, reliable polls will have somewhere in the neighborhood of one to 2,000 people asked if you're doing a nationwide poll. Uh, that will give you what's called a margin of error uh, of plus or minus roughly about four points, meaning that a resulting poll says that candidate A got 52% of the, uh, right. of the respondents poll, or, uh, polled. That could mean as high as 56% or as low as 48%. And then you also have random sampling where they're just picking, you know, it says, you know, random sampling of individuals and polling them. Um, would you argue that that definitely is a good look at, you know, getting a prediction or? As long as it's representative of right. the, uh, the entire population. Like so if you're, you know, polling in a conservative community, you're obviously your numbers are going to be skewed. If you focus, you might pull from different neighborhoods in that community, but if it is overall a Republican-based community, it's going to throw off the polling. That is correct. So you try to hit uh, urban areas uh, and make, you know mix that up with rural areas, uh, suburban areas. Also, you try and make sure you get um, different demographics, uh, such as you know race, gender, uh, income, things like that. On to the next thing, my favorite thing, being unethical. Unethical polling, um, you know, starting with, you know, push polling, uh, you know, would you vote for a candidate that you knew something they did illegal or, you know, trying to form the opinion of the individual would be considered unethical polling. And, you know, it's not really an accurate measure. Yeah. Keep in mind that accurate polls try to measure public opinion, push polling or unethical polling forms opinion. It's, that it's meant to create a right. false uh, impression or a false, uh, you know, false positive or false negative I- impression of a candidate, an idea, or something like that. Could you, you know, going back to the 2016 election, you know, with the all locker up movement from the Trump campaign or, you know, asking questions about, Benghazi and so forth is that would you consider that a form of unethical polling and trying to actually you know ask a question that will form well if they included that <laughs> as a question on a poll then yes that would That's, be that would yeah. be definitely a good example and I think we saw a lot of that going on in 2016 absolutely 
absolutely. Uh, sometimes polls can uh, contain uh, biased questions, and it could be intentional or unintentional. Uh, the problem with biased questions is that it could push a certain result of a poll. And, right. and, it's, and sometimes it's not always intentional. No. But I would, I, in my own opinion, would say probably most of the time the people creating those questions know what they're doing and are definitely being biased in it. Reliable organizations will always field test and Correct. edit their uh, questions so that it is And these reliable biased. organizations, we've already had students use this year. Um, you know, a lot of times in government classes, the Gallup polls, Pew, or university, you know, polls are all popular and I'd say very reliable sources. A good one from the uh, state of Pennsylvania is uh, the F and M Franklin and Marshall, um, uh, they have a public opinion department. They uh, put out a. And you would also argue poll. like law based university, Harvard, Yale, Dickin um, Dickinson, Dickinson, uh, George Mason, all of those, you know. If you might have heard of uh, Quinnipiac University in Connecticut, is a good law right. university for that. So, and then, you know, at the end they have exit polling. Yes. What? Well, it, what does it do? Exit polling, literally, our media organizations and public opinion research uh, companies will have uh, representatives at at polling areas now uh, where, where people vote. When I say polling, this is what it is. Uh, they will ask people uh, questions uh, after they vote, which is basically um, you know why it's called exit poll because they ask these questions of people exiting the voting booth. And they ask questions, who did you vote for? Uh, why did you vote for the person? When did you form your opinion? What's your most important issue? And it's exit polls are more or less a way in which we can reflect on the results of a poll after we know the result. Right. And then you go into, you know, traditional exit polling um, and looking at trends in voting. You know, it sounds odd to isolate, you know, sociological, you know, the sociological effects and stuff. Um, but it also shows us. But is know, it important? Is it, it important to look at? It is important. And if you track uh, who tends to vote for someone and you isolate someone's sociological characteristic, their race, their gender, their um, income, their religion, all these things, you know, have an impact on how people vote. So, for example, you know, example. men men tend to, you know, vote towards Republican candidates. Now, that's not saying, that's a generalization, but based on polling, men traditionally are more Republican and women tend to be more Democratic. Now, if you look at the results, it's, when, and when, when we say it, they trend, it's maybe about, you know, uh, 50, at maybe as high as 55%, right. give or take, uh, and it's same same thing for women. And if we had our mathematician here, Ms. Hunter, she would be able to elaborate on that a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Not every man votes Republican. Not right. every woman votes Democrat. Uh, or, you know, when it comes to black, Hispanic, you know, white, it, these are generalizations yeah. looking at a poll. Now, the one statistic, uh, statistical anomaly that we, we see is that uh, the highest group affiliation towards one, uh, one party or one party's candidates 
has been the African American population, and where, I, where yeah. that's an astounding uh, correlation. And again, it's not one hundred percent. And I think it's, it's we saw that trend probably with JFK, probably in the sixties when that there. started to sway. That's a whole. That's a different history lesson yeah, that absolutely. we could go on for hours about. But um, that's but, when you start to see that trend change, and you see where uh, campaigns kind of tailor their uh, um, party uh, or uh, cater their message more or less towards uh, a certain group, uh, right. you know, where the Democrats tend to uh, attract the minority vote while right. they, they tailor their campaign messages, and that's what the exit polls have shown. Uh, you see the Republican uh, yes. Party tailor their message more towards social, conser- social conservative issues, which attracts uh, social conservative folks, uh, religious groups, uh, predominantly Christian-based uh, religions trend towards the uh, Republican and Party. I, and I would say any probably, you know, very conservative religion is probably fo- more towards a conservative standpoint as far as politics as well. That is correct. Um, so, you know, finishing up, looking back at the 2016 election, there was, you know, major changes. You had Democrats sliding from the Democratic Party into the Republican Party. Why? What was what was happening? Well, we looked at the uh, exit polls and uh, the they showed uh, a lot of discontent uh, within uh, members who have lower income. They have uh, typically manufacturing, uh, I think we would call them blue collar jobs, which were part of the uh, Democratic Party's voting, I'm going to say base, but it's group. Traditionally. Traditionally. Uh, and they, um, they, the message from the Republican campaign was that a lot of trade deals made by Democratic presidents like Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, uh, were hurting the, their families economically. And they also went towards, you know, you had the old coal industries, you know, steel mills, those towns traditionally would have been Democratic Union supporting members. Well, then all these trade deals that went down destroyed those communities. You know, that's what Trump and the Republican, you know, party used to pull some of those votes over. Absolutely. And it's probably the most effective argument uh, in the 2016 campaign. There was also a lot of, uh, you know, discontent with the way things had been going over uh, the last, you know, you could say eight years, but also uh, we take a look at the last... uh, 16 to uh, 24 years, the quote-unquote the establishment, uh, those already in power for a long time, and most of them were with, against the uh, the Democratic Party. So right. you see a lot of folks turning towards the Republican Party uh, to solve local economic issues and things like and that. And an interesting thing to watch with the coming 2018 midterms is how the Democratic Party bounces back. Yes. How do they get those votes back? And I know that's a little bit different from polling, but it's an interesting topic to look at. And I think people need to pay attention to what are they going to say? What are they going to do to get votes back from the Republican Party? And keep in mind that polling, asking people questions about how they feel on topics, is happening right now within the Democratic and Republican parties and also other parties as well. And they will release that information to uh, the not only – um, national candidates' parties, because we, you know, the Senate has, is up for uh, one third of the Senate's up for election this year. The entire House of Representatives is up for election this year. Uh, and then we, have, like, we, we can get into the gerrymandering in Pennsylvania. Like that. that is, you know, there's a lot of changes. There's, we, we've just scratched the topic. Yeah, scratched the surface of this uh, particular topic. But 
that's uh, pretty much. I think we're gonna. That's we'll cut it off for today, today and uh, see you guys again in the near future. Yes, this has been uh, thanks to uh, Mr. French for joining me on my first official episode of uh, two, Room Two Thirty Great. And you'll be hearing more from us on the Political Review. Hopefully, we'll make Mr. Yernaga more of a guest on a regular basis. We can definitely do that. Enjoy your Easter break. And happy... Have a, yes, have a happy... Uh, have a happy Easter. Easter, yes. All right. And uh, 